0: Yo, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I've got a good one for you today. I recently read a book called Everybody Lies. If you actually subscribe to our once-monthly newsletter, I shared an excerpt from the book a month and a half ago, I believe. And it's just this fascinating concept where through scouring the data that is publicly available through Google Trends and Google AdWords, you can uncover some deep truths about the human condition and the human psyche that otherwise wouldn't be accessible. My guest today, Seth stevens Davidovitz, did this precisely in his book and hopped on for a quick conversation to talk a little bit about the intriguing findings that he has come across i learned a lot from reading the book and it really just gives you a deeper insight into the fact that a lot of people are dealing with things a lot of people aren't necessarily willing to be open and honest and transparent with most people and while that can kind of have a negative connotation or perspective It's not always a problem. It's actually potentially a point to find more empathy with fellow people, knowing that others are struggling with uh, maybe a hard truth that they aren't necessarily comfortable sharing with the world. Longtime listeners also know that I am something of a skeptic when it comes to the data that's being collected on each of us, whether that's through the different social networks, Google, all the advertising and marketing technology companies, or the profiles put together by the government. Uh, It's something that we've talked about with previous guests like Brendan Eich, the inventor of JavaScript and the Brave browser. And I pushed Seth a little bit on this. I probably could have gone a little bit further given that he is a former Google employee and a data analyst who actually is capable of putting together pictures of different people and different populations but regardless i do genuinely recommend the book it is a fun read relatively easy i also genuinely recommend that you get to pittsburgh for january 27th we're going to be hosting the going deep summit with a bunch of fantastic speakers dan bull my good friend adam harridan ed Lattimore zach slayback leila Arondo, and we're working to continue to fill out that schedule but tickets are going fast they're also going up in price at the beginning of october by ten dollars so you want to head over to goingdeepwithharon.com event to get those tickets now before they go up any further but while you're doing that you might as well listen to this conversation with seth stevens davidovitz You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Well, Seth, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to be talking with you today. Thanks for having me. You have uncovered Digital Truth Serum, and it's located in our Google search histories. And in your book here, Everybody Lies, is the name of the book, Um, you assert that it's a way to kind of break apart Widely held beliefs because we're lying to each other and we're also Lying to ourselves to some degree. Can you just start off by talking a little bit about why? The data of our Google search histories really reveals truths that aren't revealed elsewhere
1: Yeah, so I think a key reason that people are very honest on Google is you have an incentive to get information that you need so if you're gay for example, and you live in a place where it's hard to be gay You might not want to tell other people that. You might not admit that to surveys. You might not admit that to Facebook, but you would search Google maybe for gay porn or something. So uh, there are kind of many examples of people telling things to Google that they don't uh, tell to other people maybe or other sources.
0: And how did you go about accessing this data? I know that that people can go on like Google Trends and stuff, but were you given... Access to like a proprietary source of data, or how did how did you get this information that? Uh...
1: Uh, Most of the data is from Google Trends. There's also Google AdWords, which tends to be a little bit better uh, because it gives absolute search uh, information. I also worked at Google for a couple of years, but the data is not the data I used. You know, proprietary at the, my time at Google, so it is public data.
0: Yeah. So I, I wanna get into some of the findings that uh, you reveal in the book, which was really good. But before we get into that, you know, you you have worked at Google. Um, you have spent a lot of time with this data. And one of the other books that I read this year uh, is called Data and Goliath by Bruce Schneier that really takes a negative perspective on the amount of data that's being collected on us. Um, and we've talked with other people on the show about um, ways to kind of protect your privacy. And, and you talked about these ad technologies that are tracking people and cooking their browsers. How has this study over the last five years impacted how you feel about your own data and it kind of being out in the world and and being tracked versus um, maybe protecting it or or withholding it from certain entities?
1: Uh, I think I'm pretty comfortable with Google having my data because they have like a multi-billion dollar, multi-hundred billion dollar incentive to protect the data because if they didn't protect the user's information, people would stop using the search engine. And they're such a huge, rich company that they hire the best people to uh, fight hackers and to uh, keep the data somewhat private. I wouldn't recommend, you know, planning a terrorist attack on Google, but, uh, you know, like, I think if you did that, then maybe, uh, you know, you might run into some problems. But uh, I think, like, if you're just, you know, quite have some embarrassing health condition or something that you wouldn't want the world to necessarily know about. But I think Google's a pretty safe place to have that information. I think I, I, I worry a little bit more with some of the smaller sites. In fact, where they don't have as good of people, uh, they they don't have the resources to hire the best people to protect that data and protect users' privacy.
0: Yeah, that was one of the interesting things in the book was you talked about a future where. People could be discriminated against based upon their data. So right now, the traditional forms of discrimination that people are aware of or hear about, maybe, you know, sexual discrimination, religious, racial, but perhaps maybe the, I mean, you even heard of it in terms of applying for a job and, you know, take some embarrassing photos off your Facebook. but the data of what you like, maybe if you like certain restaurants and outlet stores, maybe that reveals uh, greater truths about the type of person you are and the type of interest that you have, and that potentially being a source for discrimination in the future. Can you un- unpack that idea a little bit further?
1: Yeah, that is one area that is a little bit scary, is that, so I talk about this study where they, uh, it's it, some s- people studied uh, Prosper, it's a peer-to-peer lending site and they basically tried to predict from the words people used in their loan application whether they would pay back the loan and they found that you could predict whether someone would pay back a loan based on uh, the words you use in your application and some of the some of the predictive words were a little strange if you use the word god in a loan application you're much less likely to pay back much more likely to default so a lender would actually be wise to maybe discount anybody who's using the word god in their loan application which is kind of a little bit scary and uh, not necessarily a great outcome we would think so i think uh, that is that is scary because if you think of the current uh, system the current legal and ethical system is built around an idea that corporations may know you know 10 things about you and then uh, courts have decided what things which of these 10 factors corporations are allowed to use in making decisions and which ones they're not allowed to use in making decisions. So you're not allowed to use race. You're not allowed to use religion. You are allowed to use education. Uh, you are allowed to use previous employment, but in the future, or even now already corporations now know, you know, thousands of things about us, uh, from all our internet behavior, the everything we like on social networks and things we type we've typed in different areas the words we use and a lot of these are going to correlate with outcomes and corporations may use them to make decisions and they may end up discriminating against certain races or religions without even realizing they're discriminating against races and religions so that is a little bit scary
0: yeah in in some of the talks that you've given about this research that you've done and and just the book in general there I've heard you say that perhaps this is maybe a depressing take on the some of these truths that are being revealed and I didn't necessarily read your book that way I didn't I didn't read it as a purely or a a primarily depressing take on things Um, and maybe that's just my natural bias towards optimism but you know, there's there's certainly that depressing or scary side of the big data argument. But an, another kind of realm that I saw as potentially a point for optimism is you, you did uh, do a, a section on the different sexual preferences and predilections of people that they don't necessarily share with the public. And, and one of the lines that you had in there, um, I, I'm not quoting perfectly, but was basically effectively saying, you know, if we can release this data and make just more people aware that other folks kind of share these preferences, that can lead to those people maybe feeling more free to act upon those by realizing that there actually is uh, communities or or certain people that share those preferences. That was one of the more optimistic takes for me. Would you say that it was a generally negative outlook or that you have a negative outlook or did was there more of a source? Uh, I, think well? I think it's
1: no, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think it's negative a little bit on people because I talk a lot about racism that people hide and, uh, you know, a lot of struggle that people don't talk about. So it's a little bit negative on the on, on like, you know, on people. But it's, I think, optimistic on data and the types of things we can do with data. So, you know, so so it, so it, it brings some maybe things that, you know, it brings to light some things that are maybe, you know, a lot of suffering that maybe we didn't know about or a lot of nastiness that we didn't know about so that's kind of pessimistic but i kind of agree you know i agree that it is optimistic and that you know at least now we have this data and we can maybe do something about it so uh so yeah i i don't think it's a you know pessimistic book it is there there are some parts of it they're a little bit dark but uh i don't but uh, again i think the, the main point is that ultimately you want to use this data to improve the world and i think there are ways to use this data to improve the world and if you don't have an accurate view of people i think it's hard to improve the world, so, so I think uh, this can be helpful. Some of this honest data can be helpful.
0: I definitely agree with that notion. And the, book, the title of the book is Everybody Lies. And the nature of a lie is that it's it's going to be surprising for people when that gets revealed. So I'm curious, um, you know, the book's been out for a little while now. It's a New York Times bestseller. I, I want to kind of ask a two-part question. First, what in the data was particularly surprising for you? And then, you know, you've, you've done these press junkets. You've talked to, I'm sure you've interacted with a lot of people who've read the book. What have other people... Uh, that interact with you commonly found to be most surprising or intriguing in the revelations inside the book
1: yeah so like so there are definitely some things that are totally out of nowhere I talk about the top search that starts my husband wants in India as my husband wants me to breastfeed him and that like uh you know that always that surprised me that surprised everybody it's kind of and that even sp- seems to be not talked about within india which is kind of interesting and uh so like there are kind of just these one-off things it's that like things that are kept that are kind of somewhat widespread within a certain country but aren't talked about because uh they're because they're uh kind of considered embarrassing but i think you know one that register a lot with people is i talk about the different uh the sexism of parents how when you can look at the google searches about sons and daughters that parents make and they're more likely when they're asking questions about sons to talk about their intelligence and whether they're a genius or gifted or talk about daughters they're more likely to talk about their physical appearance whether they're overweight how to get them to lose weight and that one registered a lot with people i think uh you know because because i think kind of what the, that data suggests just when you look at the geography of those searches is pretty much everybody has those biases even in liberal parts of the country conservative parts of the countries kind of no real difference so I think that kind of, you know, people consider themselves very progressive, maybe thought what, you know, maybe kind of had to look at themselves and say, oh, maybe I'm, uh, you know, sexist in how I treat my kids and maybe I should act differently. So I definitely, uh, I think, uh, got some attention. It's another area where having this information can be helpful towards changing society because I think just telling people who don't want to be sexist that it seems like in aggregate from the search data, people are being sexist, I think can be very helpful.
0: Are there other revelations or findings that are specifically regionally based that that seem like one of the main factors or variables when you were analyzing different situations, but were there certain parts, I guess we can stay within America for the uh, sake of this conversation, that, you know, you revealed parts or or realities about certain regions that maybe um, break apart some widely held beliefs or stereotypes?
1: Yeah, so one that surprised me is anxiety. I thought, you know, like uh, I thought anxiety would be highest in urban areas, kind of highly educated intellectual areas. You think of the stereotype of like neurotic urban intellectual, like Woody Allen or Larry David. But if you look at anxiety searches or panic attack searches on Google, they're much higher in more rural areas, places with lower levels of education. Uh, Kentucky, uh, rural Maine, uh, really a very different map of anxiety than we usually think about so that one kind of that one definitely surprised me
0: yeah well it it was really fascinating for me just to think about how much data you can collect on a certain person and another part that you talk getting back to like the privacy and security concerns around this data is the fact that the steps that have to be taken to anonymize the data that someone's cr- someone creates is actually pretty complex because you can maybe strip away the IP address and the the name and the, the kind of the basic uh, first-level information about someone and call it anonymized. But if you could collect enough data, and we are in this age of massive, massive amounts of data being collected on every person that uses the traditional um, Internet tools that are available to them, that it is this challenge where you know if, if you collect enough, you can still basically identify someone based upon these different actions. Um, has that been a, a conversation that you've had or that has been stirred up by the book at all, that people get concerned that some of these private search, things that they perceive to be private searches are available to the public or, or could potentially come back to haunt them?
1: Uh, I think it hasn't really been a big uh, topic because you know the data is anonymous and aggregate. I think a lot of people are like, oh, there, there's actually a good use to, to some of this data uh you know that actually it is good that you know like so, so i think uh there was some uh I, there was some story DuckDuckGo tried to like publicize some of my research DuckDuckGo is an alternative search engine that just erases everybody's search searches and they tried to publicize my research like see this is why I she used DuckDuckGo and some people responded like why like so are so, are, so, so scientific research can't be done you know so i, I kind of like that response where it's like you know ideally we would have anonymous aggregate data if, if you can use it for science, uh, you know, cure diseases and stuff. So I don't think we should just erase this data automatically. It's like DuckDuckGo wants, you know, like we should be careful to make sure that users privacy is protected and nothing compromising is released. But I think we should also mine this data uh, for research and science.
0: So usually, you know, with with research like this, it's one of those things where it's a bit of a snowball effect and you uncover a bunch of stuff and that just leads, you know, maybe you answered a few questions, but it leads to more questions that go deeper and deeper. After all this research that you've done, where, what itch are you scratching now and, and where do you want to go next with this type of research?
1: Not totally sure. Uh, I think some of the sexuality stuff. You know, there, there's a lot more to be learned on that uh, with some of the porn data and stuff. So I might, I might look more into that, and then uh, some health stuff. I think I'd like to look a lot more into, uh, but I'm not. I'm not totally sure. I kind of have to have to see. I'm having a little bit of a. That's a question I'm asking myself now <laughs> a little bit because you know, like I'm, I'm working on another book proposal, and I'm not totally sure what I want to say or what I want to explore. So, uh, you know, I, I said a lot of the things I want to say in this book already, but.
0: Well, I really enjoyed it. And I hope that people will check it out. Um, Once again, the book is Everybody Lies, Big Data, New Data, and What the Internet Can Tell Us About Who We Really Are. Um, Seth, before we have you issue a personal challenge to the audience, where can people connect with you to learn more and and be prepared for the next book that comes out?
1: It's Seth S underscore D on Twitter. That's probably the best place.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll have that linked in the show notes going deep with Aaron.com slash podcast for the show notes of this and every episode of the show. But as we do at the end of each interview, Seth, I uh, want to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience.
1: Uh, I'll say uh, to read one book a week for the next year is a good challenge.
0: I like that. Any uh, personal favorite books of yours or, or books that had a influence on your interest in big data and this type of research?
1: Uh, I like Nate Silver's book, The Signal and the Noise. I like dataclysm by Christian Rutter, uh Freakonomics, all those books I really like. Oh, yeah. I
0: I read Freakonomics when I was in in school and that was uh one of the surprisingly easiest reads I think I've ever had. Uh but that was a good one. Okay. Um excellent challenge. I hope that people take that it's definitely uh, gotta be up for the challenge and and maybe reprioritize a little bit of your time but definitely some massive payoffs if you can read at that rate uh we just went deep with seth stevens davidovitz hope everyone out there has a fantastic day thanks so much Aaron. Hey, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I had a good time in today's conversation. I hope you did as well. And if you want to keep the good times rolling, head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is you listen to your podcasts and give us an old five-star review. We have been racking them up, but it is a huge part of discovery and how more people find this show. We've had a ton of listeners already be generous enough to spend the 20 seconds it takes to write the review and give us those five stars. But if you haven't done so yet. Would really appreciate that. And beyond that, I just hope you have a fantastic day. The fact that you continue to listen to this show means the world to me. I am repeatedly humbled by the audience that we've amassed and all the amazing feedback I get from people. And I am going to continue to try and deliver great episodes for you. If you have suggestions for guests, future people to come on the show, please feel free to reach out. Aaron at GoingDeeperAaron.com is the place for the emails or on Twitter at AaronWatson59. I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.